here we are, the second of the letters to the church in Revelation. Um, last week, James kicked off the first of those, the letter to Ephesus. And today we have a suffering church, a church that was being persecuted and to be persecuted even more. And often the persecution of believers feels far away for us. Certainly it does for me. It feels like another world and it can be quite hard to relate to when you hear stories of people being imprisoned or churches being burned down. It can feel difficult to relate to. Uh, until last Sunday, I'd never been to prison or in a prison or visited a prisoner. And I discovered the hard way that you need to check what's in your pockets before you work your way through <laughs> the main security doors. Yeah, there's a few giggles. Unfortunately, um, I, hadn't, I didn't declare anything to the guards on the door. Um, I then passed through these two pretty secure doors uh, to be padded down, to be checked that I didn't have anything that I was hiding. I said, no, it's just my keys and my watch. And they took my watch because it had the internet on it. I didn't realize I couldn't take that in. Um, and on my keys, which actually were Nadia's keys, she has a very convenient um, Leatherman penknife, <laughs> at which point they decided it was best that I didn't take that into the prison. So I had to go back through these doors and put it in a locker and then come back through bright red, feeling very embarrassed. Yeah, I'm the newbie that's never been to see someone in prison before. And so now that I've been, I've got an experience that I can imagine a little bit more when I'm praying for prisoners, when I'm thinking about prison ministry as we hear it and how, how uh, the situation for those inside is really difficult, is really hard and something of a compassion can well up because I've got a bit of an experience, a very small one at that. But most of us haven't experienced the suffering and the persecution that we read about in the church of Smyrna. Most of us uh, may well have been, if we were Christians growing up, picked on at school, maybe felt like we were the butt of a joke at a pub, um, maybe as a university student, or maybe experienced some sort of social awkwardness at some point in the office or in our workplace or at the school gates or socially maybe being overlooked and ignored. That might be the kind of persecution that we're familiar with as Christians who maybe um, try to live a different life but not really the kind of persecution that we find on the pages of the New Testament and that sadly many people around the world endure and suffer at the moment. In open, I don't want to minimise any experiences that you've had. They're real. They can hurt. It can be hard to feel like you're the odd one out. It can be difficult. But the kind of persecution that we're coming across in this letter is at a different scale. Open Doors uh, are an international charity and they produce a watch list every year of the top three persecuted countries. And at the moment, it's North Korea, Somalia, and Libya. 375 million Christians face persecution and discrimination around the world today. 4,998 Christians were killed for their faith in 2023. Sadly, 90% of those individuals lived in Nigeria. 15,000 Christian buildings or churches were attacked or um, attacked in some way by the police or by opposing groups 
in 2023. 10,000 of those church buildings that were attacked or that were closed were in China. This is what leads to things like the underground church and issues that we hear about and pray about as we're aware that in our world today, not just historically, there are many people that are imprisoned for their faith. There are many people who can't go to church without the risk that it will be become targeted. People International, another Christian uh, organization, have a, a goal of reaching the unreached in Central Asia. I don't know an awful lot about Central Asia, maybe some of you do, but a small number of believers uh, live in Central Asia. It's one of the least reached regions of the world, and it sits between Europe and Asia, um, modern-day Turkey, which is the place we're thinking a bit about today. But only 0.25% are Bible-believing Christians, and in Turkey, it's the lowest ethnic evangelical group of 0.01%. And that is the country where the church of Smyrna was and is today. It's now known as Izmir, a place in Turkey that maybe some people have visited or heard about or seen on a map. Jesus and in the New Testament uh, quite clearly talk about suffering. They talk about the reality of if you are a Christian, persecution is not just possible, it's probable, it's likely. In fact, if the world hated me, Jesus said, it will hate you as well. Peter in his epistle says, don't be surprised when suffering comes. In fact, we're in quite a unique time in church history in the West as Christians today that can freely gather and sit, drink coffee, listen to a sermon, sing songs and go home again without any risk or of persecution for, for that act. We live in a free society where that's possible. And it's quite easy, isn't it, to overlook that, to take it for granted and get uh, a bit entitled by that. There are many people in our world today that cannot experience that. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, there's a verse that will ping up on the screen. Verse 3. And we're called, um, along with the believers of the time, to continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. So even though we're not suffering, even though we might not be facing the persecution like that today that many are around the world, and many have through the centuries, we are told to remember, to pray and to suffer ourselves. So what on earth does that look like? Because tomorrow, next week, next month, it's unlikely to change for us. Who knows in the next 5, 10, 20 years what might happen in the UK and in the West. The direction of travel is not maybe as positive as we'd like it to be. How did Jesus encourage this church, the church of Smyrna? How would he speak to them to give them hope in the middle of affliction and suffering and poverty so that they could live with faith? Well, we're going to look at that now. And Smyrna, as I said, some people may have visited. We had plans about six or seven years ago as a 
group from Barton to go and do a mission trip to Turkey. And one of the locations that we were going to go was going to be Izmir. And so as we think about this, I think, oh, we nearly made it. But then there was a coup and that meant that we couldn't go to Turkey and our flights were cancelled and the game was off. So maybe in the future. But Turkey... Modern day um, Turkey was Asia Minor in the New Testament. And this is the location of the seven churches. And this one particular is along the coast from Ephesus that you heard about last week. It was a harbour city and still is. It's a harbour city, but it was known for the temple, one of the uh, mother goddess temples with the goddess Roma and had imperial cults there, Tiberius and Hadrian in the early centuries. And it was a really historic old city, one that had been founded in 1200 BC. So this has got history. And yet, sadly, it was destroyed in around 600 BC and lay in ruins for 300 years before Alexander the Great uh, decided that his successors should be commissioned with rebuilding it and restoring it. And so that's what happened. Having laid in ruins for some 300 years, it was restored and became from a city of ruins and great history to being a city of beauty, paved streets, a library, a gymnasium, a shrine to Homer, the philosopher. It was picturesque. It was sloped from the sea up um, to the high cliffs. And there's these, these old ruins, that some of which are still there today, you can see, that come on this rocky outcrop where the temples were. And from, from the sea, if you looked at Smyrna, you'd have seen this beautiful um, city, this rising cliff with these buildings on the top that looked like a crown. And it was known as the crown of Smyrna, this his history of this city that had been ruined, had history, had been ruined, but then was restored, was rebuilt, and was one of beauty. And it had this crown on the top of the hilltop. That's what it looked like. And so the city itself has a story of rising from the ashes, of rising from the dead, and being crowned with this new life. And it exists still today. What a story of the gospel of resurrection. And that theme is the theme that Jesus really centers on as he talks to this church about the suffering that they're facing and enduring. And the church that um, Paul would have planted around AD 53 to 56, uh, we don't have a story of how it was planted beyond a reference in Acts chapter 19, which says, all Asia heard the word of the Lord. And that's likely to mean those many churches in the seven letters, we know about Ephesus from chapters around chapter 19 in Acts, but Smyrna was probably planted as one of the many places that the gospel rippled out towards. Then people came to faith and gathered for worship. So how does Jesus encourage this church with this great history, with this story of resurrection? What does he do? Well, he talks about the reality of their life, their affliction, their poverty, and their suffering, but also about their riches in Jesus. He talks about their suffering, but also the victory. He talks about Satan, but also the Savior. And in the middle of it all, he says, be faithful. And that's really what this message is about today. We might not be facing lots of 
obvious persecution like this church was or like people are around the world today but we are facing afflictions trials struggles challenges be that because of our faith or because of life's circumstances and what we see here Jesus saying is be faithful through it all so we're going to think about how we need to be prepared for when suffering and hard times come and also how we need to persevere when we're in them. And maybe you're in them at the moment. Maybe this is a message for you to hear today. Persevere. Keep going. But maybe you're feeling like life's okay at the minute. There aren't too many struggles and pressures at the moment. Well, I want to say be faithful by being prepared for what might come because suffering is a big part of life for everyone. So dear church, Jesus says, be faithful now before suffering comes. Get ready. Be prepared. Uh, Over the last few weeks, there's been quite a few uh, conversations and articles about the possibility of total war, uh, World War III, and questions whether we should raise up a citizen's army and whether the UK would be able to do that to add to its meagre 73,000 current forces. Um, Should we be ready in case things bubble up beyond what they are in the Middle East? It might be wise to, you know, things aren't looking particularly healthy there. We need to be praying. But preparation in a military sense looks like getting ready for a bad scenario that may well come. Getting ready, being prepared for battle. That's a part of the language used in the Bible and that we need to speak about as Christians, not to pick up physical arms, but to be spiritually ready for the challenges that we face. Part of our preparation is knowing Jesus more. And that is the key to picking up our spiritual weapons, knowing Jesus more. And that's why I think Jesus says at the start about himself, who he is. The best preparation we can make for suffering, for afflictions, for trials, is to know Jesus more. And this is how Jesus reveals himself to the church of Smyrna and to us this morning. I am the first and the last. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am beyond what is happening now. I'm sovereign. I'm aware. I'm in control. Even though bad things are happening, I am the eternal God Almighty. I'm the creator of all things and I'm aware of the suffering that's happening. I died and I rose, he says. I am the risen one who is the resurrection and the life. And we need to, in the middle of our suffering, or to prepare for suffering and afflictions that might be ahead, have to hang on to the truth that Jesus is alive. He is the first and the last. He is above it all. And he reigns in his risen glory. That makes a difference when we're suffering. Because it means we have an anchor to hold on to. A truth that everything else is governed by. Jesus did not remain dead. He is alive. He is risen and in power. Knowing this, Jesus, in the middle of your affliction, your grief, in the middle of your poverty and financial hardship, whatever 
you are going through, whatever suffering might be coming, are we prepared? Are we getting to know him now? And you might say, because I did as I was preparing this, yes, but why doesn't he do something about the problems now before they come? Why, why are there 19,000 orphan children in Gaza, in Palestine? Why does he allow suffering to be permitted? Why are so many Christians persecuted around the world? And why do 15,000 churches get attacked and closed? If God wants to build his kingdom, why is he doing it like this? And we don't have simple answers to those big questions. We don't and can't find clear theological reasoning that makes us go, okay, that's fine then. We have to wrestle with these things. It hurts. It's hard. And what are we called to do in the middle of it all? Be faithful. Not be fully understanding and comprehending of God's will and his purposes and his plans, but to be faithful. To look to the one who is alive, Jesus. To look to the one who suffered before he was glorified. And to see somehow in God's wisdom, he says the way to glory is suffering. That's just the way of things. Death leads to life. So it starts with knowing this Jesus more. But the other kind of part of our preparation is to know that we are rich because the church of Smyrna were poor and they were afflicted and they suffered in their poverty because of their faith in all likelihood. They um, would have struggled to work and gain the income of those that were not believers of that time. So they had systems, guild systems, trades, that by being a part of those trades and guilds would have meant that you'd have had to participate in pagan ceremonial um, religious rituals and ceremonies. And that would have been in contradiction, conflict with the faith in Jesus. And so as a result, uh, you wouldn't get the best jobs. You might have been paid less. You might have been discriminated against. You would have been poor in a wealthy, affluent, beautiful city. The believers were at the bottom of the pile. They would have had less working opportunities, less career progression. Poverty was the reality. And yet in the middle of that, Jesus says, you are rich. What really matters is that you know me and you know my spiritual riches, which are that you're forgiven, that you have the Holy Spirit with you, that you're adopted into the family of believers, that there'll be a great reward for you in heaven, that if you persevere through the sufferings and the afflictions and the poverty, you can know my presence with you in a deeper, real sense than you would otherwise. Paul spoke a lot about this. He, from a prison cell, wrote the letter to the church in Philippi. And in Philippians um, chapter 4, verse 19, it says, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul knew the riches that were available to him in Jesus and that's exactly what Jesus is reminding the church of in this moment. He says, don't worry, I've con conquered troubles and I've died to demonstrate that victory and risen in power. But it doesn't end there. You are rich and you will be rich forever, even if financially right now you are at the bottom of the pile. Knowing 
Jesus knows us in our struggles makes a difference. Jesus in this letter says, doesn't he, very clearly, I know, verse 9, I know your afflictions. That famous quote that um, here, when as I researched it, it's a bit hard to tell exactly who said it first, but a guy called T.A. Webb uh, said, a trouble shared is a troubled halved. It makes a difference, doesn't it, to know to, to, to know that someone else knows. When you share a trouble, a problem, it helps that someone else knows about it. Even if they can't fix it or do anything immediately about it, it just, it helps to share a trouble. Well, imagine now that, that Jesus doesn't just know your trouble. He doesn't just know your burden. He can also do something about it. He might not remove it, but he can use it for your growth. He can use it for his glory. He can use it to help you trust him. And he says, just be faithful in the middle of this. So how are we preparing ourselves if we aren't really suffering right at the moment? We may do in time, in any number of ways. We know that many of us here are in a time of affliction and trial and challenge. But how can we make the most of the freedoms that we have right now? And yes, Sunday Church can help. Yes, Life Group can help. Yes, other meetups and programs and podcasts and sending your kids on youth camps and all sorts of things can help. But how are we seriously prioritizing our spiritual health in the time that we have now? Because who knows what the next decade will look like for the church in the West? Are we taking seriously being faithful by being prepared. Dear church, be faithful. Dear church, be faithful when suffering arrives. And that's all about persevering. It's all about keeping going, even when we don't understand, even when things are hard. And what we find in this letter here from verse 9 to 10 is that as well as Jesus knowing their affliction and their suffering and saying you're rich, he says, I also know the slander of those who say they're Jews and aren't. They're a synagogue of Satan. See, there were a few enemies that the church would have faced, the Jews, um, which which were specifically mentioned there, but also the Gentiles, the fact that they were excluded from the guilds, that they were seen as a minority. Um, and, and that uh, enemy was real. It was in two forms. But, but what we find is that behind that, the main enemy is actually the devil, Satan, as is quite clearly stated in this, in this passage, that behind the Jewish slander, that say they were um, going to the synagogue. Actually, it was a synagogue of Satan. It was a way of showing that their, their faith was not genuine and they didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. And in fact, they were being negative towards the one that the Jewish people should have found themselves. Satan means to slander, to accuse. And so we find here these words of, of bitterness and um, slander thrown towards the small number of believers in the church of Smyrna um, that comes directly from both the Jews but also the Romans. And the Romans wouldn't have uh, particularly liked the church because they weren't declaring that Caesar was Lord. They were saying that Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, Jesus, this Lord was Lord instead. 
And so it would have been legal to be a Jew in this time because there were lots of Jews and there was a system in place and there was political influence that was happening. But to be this Christian, this new religious group that no one really understood but was spreading rapidly, that was quite an unknown entity for the Romans. And they said, no, it's going to be illegal to be a Christian. In fact, um, we don't trust it, we don't permit it, uh, you're not declaring Caesar as Lord, and, and therefore you'll be persecuted, you'll be challenged, you'll be suffering, and in time the suffering would increase. And so they would have experienced some suffering, but more was due to come. And we read about that as it was read to us, because uh, it says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. More suffering is coming. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. 10 days, it's quite a specific amount of time. I think that's symbolic. It's often the way with numbers in the book of Revelation. Uh, but it means a period of time and actually uh, uh, possibly a, a, you know, a period that is brief, not necessarily ongoing. There's going to be an end point. It's limited. God knows it will start and it will finish. But this period of time of suffering is coming for the church. And this is one of the letters where we, we don't see a rebuke to the church. We only have encouragement. We only have um, reminders and hope for the church. And that was, that's quite understandable. You know, if we think of Jesus, the perfect shepherd, the perfect caring leader that is speaking to his congregation, and he doesn't challenge them with the areas that they might need to correct. He sees their suffering. He knows their pain, their fear. And he says, don't be afraid. Be faithful. Remember, I am the risen one. Remember, I'm the first and the last. And victory is coming. Just keep going. He says, persevere. So as I was looking into this, um, came across a bit of a story about a, a martyr not long after this, this letter would have been written, written and read to the church. And in around AD 155, the Bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp, who I think we heard referred to a few sermons ago, who would have been a pupil of the Apostle John, uh, was, was martyred for his faith. And this is how the story goes. Hope you can keep with some of the, the old English translation here. <clears throat> this is how it goes. So he refused to say Caesar is Lord. Uh, brought to the stadium, the proconsul said, swear I will set thee at liberty, reproach Christ. Polycarp answered, 86 years have I served him, and he never did me injury. How can I blaspheme my king and saviour? When the proconsul pressed him, the old man answered, since thou art vainly urgent that I should swear by the fortune of Caesar and pretendest not to know who I am and what I am, hear me declare with boldness, I am a Christian." is what he says directly to the proconsul. A little later, he answered, I have wild beasts at hand to these I will cast thee, except thou repent. I will cast thee to be consumed by fire, seeing thou despises the wild beasts if thou will not repent. But Polycarp said, even though threatened with wild beasts and with fire, 
Thou threatens me with fire which burneth for an hour, and after a little is extinguished, but are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why tarriest thou? Bring forth what thou wilt. Soon after people began to gather wood, including the Jews, helping them. Polycarp was burned at the stake at AD 155. What faith in the middle of direct persecution, being called to reproach, to deny Christ. Instead, he doesn't. That was the experience of leaders not long after this letter was written. Persecution came. It was worse. Some were imprisoned and some were faithful unto death, including Polycarp. You see, suffering is temporary. It doesn't last forever, but it is a reality. But it is a reality that we can face with hope. And in verse 10 to 11, we see something of that, don't we? Do not be afraid. But then more than that, be faithful to the point of death. I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever hears has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. There is hope in the middle of facing persecution and suffering. And it's because we have a victorious one. Jesus was dead and is alive. And he offers the the faithful the victor's crown. We read there that we, we, we will die a first death, But the second death, our spiritual judgment that would lead to eternal separation from God is one that can't hurt the believer, can't hurt the faithful one. That is the hope that we have. And we are blessed with a a crown of victory. Remember the image of Smyrna as you came into the harbour. You looked at this beautiful city and you would see uh, on the hilltop a crown-like structure, the city of Smyrna the crown of Smyrna, and now Jesus speaks of a crown of life, one that can't ever be ruined and crumbled, can't ever be overwhelmed and attacked, one that is eternal and long-lasting, one that James, in James chapter 1, verse 12, uh, says these words to us uh, this morning, and maybe they can give you hope too. It says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. He calls us to be faithful, to love him, and one day we will receive a crown of life, the victory wreath that Olympians would wear, that would be upon the head of the victorious one that persevered through the challenges of competition. The challenges, the battles that you are facing will come to an end. Whether that's physical suffering for your faith, like many around the world, or in fact, like most of us, the challenges, the afflictions of just normal life. Jesus says today, be faithful, Barton, through it all. He said to the church of Smyrna, be faithful unto death. He says to us, be faithful, keep going. Whatever battle you are facing, know Jesus, the risen one. Know him more. Get serious about your discipleship. A part of our vision is is to be intentional in our discipleship. In some research uh, recently that's been produced, 
they discovered three key things about those that are spiritually mature. If you want to be spiritually mature, these are three components of what could be ahead for you. Contemplative prayer, praying as more listening than just speaking. Praying that is being, not just talking. A kind of waiting on God in the hard times in life. A meditating on who he is. A prayer like that forms a mature believer. The second thing, deep long-term friendships. Have you got deep friendships? And if you don't, seek them out, pray for them, reach out to people, meet up with them, talk to them, be mentored, mentor someone, get alongside believers. Honest, authentic friendships. And the third thing was suffering. That is what produces maturer believers. No one wants to seek that out, but when it comes, we've got to get used to embracing it, whatever that might look like for you at the moment. I pray that you'll be faithful through it all, and that's what Jesus says to Barton Church today. Father God, it's hard to be faithful when it hurts to go through life when we're aware of the challenges all around us. It's hard to be faithful And so I pray you would help us to reach out to others to receive support. I pray that you would help us to be a church that prepares in the seasons when suffering feels further away. But when it comes, that we would be marked by perseverance, by knowing you, the risen one who conquered death, and that we would have eyes on the crown of life to come, that reward that you richly give us, You're cheering us on, Jesus. I pray that we would keep persevering for your glory. Amen.